This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. This lockdown, I have been really obsessed about the football. I really threw myself into it. I guess it's also not having the shop as well. And all of a sudden it's over. So I'm living the life of a true footy fan. I'm bereft this week. To see it happen at the Shrine, to hear American journos actually compare what happened at the Shrine to Tiananmen Square, which is completely bloody ridiculous, if you don't mind me saying. But that was a pretty grim day and a day I hope to never see ever, ever again. I think most people, most Australians were mortified. I love a reunion. I still remember when Richard Burton and Liz Taylor got back together and it was such a big story. I went outside and looked around the area where the little bird taps. Sure enough, Caro and Caro, what do you think I found? Really? She was right. A huge nest. Corrie, I'm grumpy. Join the club. You'll get this paperwork. Oh, paperwork. Started. I thought once my kids left school, I'd filled in my last form. Joke's on me. You and I have interviewed a lot of famous people in our day, Carol. Hello, yeah. Mikhail Barishkinov, the most boring person I've ever met, even <laughs> though I'd love to watch him dance. <laughs> we, we, often, we often do talk about famous people who just didn't live up to expectation. But I have to tell you, Paul Oster did and then some. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. And welcome everybody to episode, oh, Corrie, 191 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Here we are again. We're going to be very cheerful today. We're um, still getting over the drought-breaking premiership by the Melbourne Football Club. We're not being allowed to forget it, are we, Corrie? Um, we've got some very interesting questions You've got a great, well, I've got a great recipe and you're going to chime in on that. And um, you have been reading again. How are you going? I'm really well, Caro. And you're absolutely right about raising the uh, raising the tone. I, I felt quite bleak after the footy finished on Saturday. I don't know, you probably felt hugely relieved. <laughs> oh, no, flat as a tack. Flat as a tack. Oh, it's the same every year. Yeah, well, I, I felt it this year particularly because the last few weeks, this lockdown, I have been really obsessed about the football. I really threw myself into it. I guess it's also not having the shop as well. But, um, you know, listening to your Real Footy podcast that you do with uh, Jake Nile on The Age and and the f- different footy shows and everything, and all of a sudden it's over. So I'm living the life of a true footy fan. I'm bereft this week. But But when you and I were chatting about today's episode, 191, take that, Annabelle Crabb and Lee Sales, because you're about 10 10 behind us, girls. Oh, Uh, Corrie, let's not be competitive. Let's not. When you said let's be positive, I thought, look, that's a really good thing to do because we still have in Melbourne another four or five weeks of lockdown, and I think there's a lot of um, of joy to be had. Caro, one particular little bit of joy I'd love to mention is, uh, is an email. Well, in fact, she sent us two emails this week. The first one, uh, both from Caroline Pizzi. Thank you, Caroline, so much for making contact. Her first one said, hi, girls, had to laugh at the comments about the pronunciation of our name, Caro. Why is it so bloody hard, says oh. Caroline Pizzi. I'm so used yep. to call, being called Carolyn. I don't even bother correcting people anymore, but my husband gets very wound up about it. 
So um, that's her, that was her first email, and I, I would imagine that you completely concur with that. Well, the, you know, and I'm sending my best regards to Jeff Kennett, who I'm sure does it deliberately. I don't think he's ever called me Caroline in my entire life. He always calls me Caroline, particularly when we're bluing, which is most of the time. And um, it, it, they're spelled differently. It's a completely different name. Carolyn is a lovely name, but it's not my name. Yes, At least I'm, you don't. Although you, well, we know you famously got corny once when you were a football writer, but you normally get Corrie, don't you? No, I get, are you kidding? I get Kylie, I get Chloe. That's why when I order a coffee, Caro, I put it under the name of Max because nobody can say Corrie. Anyway, just back to Caroline Pizzi. She then sent a second email, Caro. Remember last week I was telling you and the potties about this annoying little bird that's tapping on my bathroom window? Oh, yes. Has not, has not stopped, and I do apologise in advance if you hear it this morning because it's really going nuts this week. Um, Caroline Pizzi again. Read the little bird hammering on your bathroom window, Corrie. It's mating and nesting season. The bird is defending its territory and thinks it's chasing off an aggressor. One tip is to dull the reflection by wiping the window with a solution of baking powder and water or jiff or something similar. Not particularly attractive, but easily re removed once nesting time is over. Good luck. Well, Caroline, I then, after I received your email, I went outside and looked around the area where the little bird taps. Sure enough, Caro and Caro, what do you think I found? Really? She was right. A huge, a huge nest. And the more I look at this little bird, it does think, I think because it taps so hard on the window, it feels like this aggressor is tapping back. So it's not it's not mentally thinking, oh, that was a dud, that didn't work, that's obviously me. It does think that it's a bird. It really attacks the window some days. So anyway, thanks for that, Caroline. I will probably put GIF on my window. Um, great Great tip, that one. Thank you. That, that is that is a good tip. And hello to Caroline and everyone else who's listening. Um, and thank you, of course, to our sponsors, the most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. We're talking about Red Energy, our supplier. And, of course, we'll be opening up the cocktail cabinet later in the show, thanks to Dear Prince Wine Store. But, Corrie, let's cover off on the last day in September. And it was back to the last day in September this year, although sadly not at the MCG. Huge amount of debate, certainly on my station 3AW, leading into the game about whether it should be shared around to the other states because, you know, Perth celebrated it so well and there was so much going on and it's such a great stadium there over at Optus. But, you know, frankly... Bring back the MCG, I say. And, no, there's a contract. It, it goes for, well, at least another 35, 40 years, and I really hope it stays that way. What's your view? Well, Caro, I'm with you now on the night grand final. I used to be a bit ho-hum. You would bang on about how you didn't like the night grand final idea, and I would think, oh, that's just another issue that she wants to take to task. But I oh, am... Oh, I, <laughs> Excuse I, me for living. Well, you know, I had no views. You're allowed to have your views, but I just had none that I could contribute. Well, now I feel I can because I realised talking to people on the phone, lots of Melbourne supporters watching it alone or just with a family member, um, even my own family, what was happening was that because people had the whole day, they treated it like a party. And so come the grand... See, I, I'm a real believer in the game should be its most pure at a grand final because you've got the two best teams, arguably, you should have. And it is the time when you should focus on the best game of the year. And that doesn't mean 
arriving at 7 p.m., turning on the telly, you half blotto because you started drinking at 2. Well, speak whatever. for yourself, but yes. <laughs> I'm not, can I just add? But I just feel that instead of it being the event being the match, the events become the party around it. And it's because we have this whole day to consider what's about to unfold. So I'm now with you. Afternoon grand final. Despite the fact that most of the big games like preliminary finals and Anzac Eve and Dreamtime are played at night, I could not agree with you more. And I think there's also something about when it's over. When it's over and it's, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock, then you can, well, if you're a Richmond supporter in 2017, wander down Swan Street. But there's the night, it just sort of... And it was different for the people in Perth because of the time difference. So by the time the telecast ended, you know, and we were hanging on every word, it was still only 8.30, 9 o'clock in Perth and they could go and celebrate. But um, normally, no. And I think, look, I'm sure that there's so many changes to the game in the last few years and Gillan McLaughlin's very mindful of that. I don't – he keeps saying it's inevitable, it'll go tonight, and people point to ratings. I dispute that. I think this game would have rated its socks off at any time, as would last year when you've got, you know, two big Melbourne teams or Victorian teams like Richmond and Geelong. So I don't buy that and I don't think they'll change it in the short term. But – it really did seem at halftime, didn't it, as though they were the best two teams. And then it became, obviously, by three-quarter time, looked pretty ominous. Melbourne were only about a goal up with three minutes to go or less than two minutes to go in the third quarter. And then they banged on those three goals and then it became a celebration. But, God, I mean, in the end, I was I was pretty happy for all our Melbourne friends, weren't you? Yeah, I was pretty happy. And, and you're right, Caro, about the game. I mean, the score really belies the high standard of the game, doesn't it? Yep. Uh, if you looked at the score, you'd just be thinking, oh, well, that would must they must have been flat as attack. But that relentless attacking skill of the Bulldogs um, was just so was so uh, palpable, like they were just so on for that first quarter and a half in particular. And we wondered what, what was happening with Melbourne. Were they just... Uh, you know, fulfilling some sort of tragic destiny of yet again. Oh, Melbourne were amazing in the first quarter. Their pressure yeah. was unbelievable. It was it's only in the second quarter. Very, it was a very tough, you know, t- it was a tough fight. You're right, but we wondered what was what on earth was going to happen. So, look, I've, um, I, I, of course, um, as I know you did too, was thinking of of demons uh, past. Um, you know, I was remembering my days, my. The first year I covered football, 1981, Ron Barassi was the newly appointed coach at Melbourne and or newish. And because Melbourne were at virtually the bottom of the ladder, I seemed to cover about 10 or 11 games, Melbourne games that year, because as the cadet journalist, I was given all the lousy games. So Ron Barassi became a bit of a fixture in my life and he was very warm and opening to the idea of a woman covering football. So that was great. But I also took myself back to times with, you know, going into the MCG with my dad on a Saturday and a car full of his red legs cronies. And they would always promise themselves next year, you know, but there was Stan Elves and Greg Wells and all of those, Gary Hardiman, all those Melbourne greats to try and, you know, to keep them going for another season. But well, gosh. Robbie Flower, Corrie. Robbie Flower, how wonderful was he? I mean, I, I thought of him a lot over the last week. I agree. And, you know, and just the great captains like, uh, you know, of course, Gary Lyon and we all thought about Jim Steins. We all thought about Neil Danaher. There was a lot of emotion in the room. And you've also had a bit of emotion closer to home because your dad lost one of his dear AFL friends this week. Yeah. Well, well, 
Albert Mantello um, died on grand final night, overnight on grand final night, and just a wonderful man, obviously a stalwart of the AFL, an AFL commissioner, North Melbourne, a star champion player with the North Melbourne Football Club. Part of their resurgence, well, he was off the field, but their on-field resurgence in the 70s when they finally had success, when they brought all those brilliant players into the club and Albert was on the board. He was just one of the nicest people I've ever met. Um, his four children, um, but in particular Fiona and Felicity, the late beautiful Fiona and Felicity, great friends of our family, great friends of mine, just must have been so sad for them on the Sunday after the grand final. So sending wishes to all of them. And it, extraordinary that so soon after the death of John Elliott, you know, another big name in the AFL. But, um, yeah, so Vale Albert Mantello, it was a very emotional time. I think for Melbourne people, a lot of them have said to me, oh, you know, the Richmond supporters got to wander down Swan Street and we couldn't really do anything. Um, there's a lot of people walking around the town, I've got to say, on Sunday morning, though, in a lot of red and blue scarves. But I guess um, they will take... You know, they'll take some solace in the way they won. And we just hope that our new best friend, Kate Roffey, gets to get everyone onto the MCG in December when they're all going to be allowed to touch the cup and they're going to watch the whole game again on the scoreboard. How good will that be? I think that's I think that's a really good second best, don't you? Oh, completely, completely. So, look, grand final's over. A bit of a flat feeling in Melbourne because not a lot to do at the moment. And what is it, four weeks and counting, this lockdown? You, you're feeling positive? Um, I'm feeling I'm feeling a bit odd, Cara. I, I have to be honest, even though I know this is a cheery, supposed to be a cheery podcast today. I just, um, like we're up to about 240 days in lockdown now, now over the past year and a bit. And I have started noticing behavioural changes in myself and in others close to me. One thing, I was talking about this with my daughter, Checker the other day. Checker said, haven't you noticed how the days are long, but the weeks and months seem to be going by fast? Time is all skewed. And she she uh, likened it to when you have a newborn, and women who have had babies will understand this. You know, this, it, the sun comes up and down, but there's no concept of what the day is. There's nothing that punctuates the day other than maybe doing the baby's laundry or a feed in a bath. or So yep. I feel like that at the moment. The sun goes down, oh, it must be time to start cooking dinner. But particularly because um, I'm not working the way I did last lockdown, I find this very odd. And also the lack of joy and not being able to hold on um, any hold on to any plans because we've all learnt the hard way about that, about making plans. Yes. They just get dashed. So you just don't make any anymore. And I've noticed among my friends in particular talking on the phone and so on, People are just going, well, we won't be able to do that or we can't do that or there's no point in making a booking now or, you know, people are even feeling sad about Christmas Day. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful about Christmas and I'm hopeful about November, but it is it does seem to be a long wait and, it, you know, it, it is particularly grim. There's a bit of Melbourne bashing going on and obviously the week leading up to the grand final in Melbourne was just a horrible week on so many levels. But we thought we'd be a little bit cheery, didn't we? Now, do you want to go first with your five best things about Melbourne? Yeah, I do, and I support, and I, and I reckon they'll line up with some of yours too. The first thing I want, I mean, in no particular order stressing, but one of the things I've always loved about Melbourne is it's the retail capital of Australia. I can't wait to get back into the CBD 
and go shopping at places like Maya. Who would have thought I'd be missing Maya? I want to go to the Emporium. I love the Emporium. I think it just has the best shops. Uh, even DJs, uh, you know, the, the David Jones makeup department, it's time, oh, for, yes. it's time for a new lipstick, Carol, I reckon. And then the second thing I'm missing about Melbourne, I can't wait, are the bars and the cafe life. I just think we're a lesser community when we don't have that buzz, and especially for younger people, but people of all ages really. Bars and cafes are the places where we meet. It's where we catch up. Um, a small gathering in a park just doesn't cut it, I'm afraid. The third thing I'm, I, I can't well, wait to Well, it sort of has to at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, that's so well, there's no, I mean, yeah, it's a small pleasure, but it's, I'd much rather be in a bar. Um, the third um, thing I love about Melbourne, uh, you know, because we are a, a UNESCO city of literature, we have the finest bookshops in the country. I can't wait to go back to some bookshop browsing amongst the books. I'm sick of looking at books online, sick of it. Um, and I can't wait for the movie theatres, which I reckon will be one of yours, and also live performances. Yes. And, getting, and yep. getting back into my beloved Wheeler Centre and listening to some author talks. And then I, this is a bit of a silly one, I guess, but I can't wait to get to Brunswick to see Will and Lib in Florence and visit Mediterranean wholesalers and walk Florence up Sydney Road up to La Mana Fresh, which I just adore the La Mana um, grocery stores. So those are probably my first that come to mind. What about you? Well, I just sort of, um, I did about seven because I thought we'd clash. And um, I um, have more done just four, five things I just love about Melbourne that make it unique. The fact that we actually have four seasons, which you can't say for many parts of Australia. I think we have the best weather in Australia, despite this sort of rumour that we have terrible weather. I love our summers. I love the fact that it is actually autumn, that you need a coat in winter and spring which that's another thing about the lockdown at the moment. You really do notice the change of the seasons. So I love the four seasons. We are the foodie capital and those foodie strips, you know, the Vietnamese in Richmond, also in Footscray, the Italians in Carlton. Um, there, there's so many wonderful, the, the Greeks in Richmond. It, it's just extraordinary how many wonderful foodie strips we have in this city. The fact that you, it takes you 10 to 15 minutes to walk from the Arts Precinct to the MCG, the two absolute meccas of this city. The Botanic Gardens, I don't care what anyone says, I reckon they're the most beautiful botanic gardens I've ever seen. I don't, I, I've never seen any better anywhere else in the world. I've seen, I mean, in Sydney, you're overlooking the harbour, so you have that incredible, breathtaking ge geographic sort of situation, but I reckon ours are the best. Um, I agree. Carol, don't you think that, that the hills, the topography of the hills really add and it allows the yep. gardeners and the nursery staff to actually have like the perennial, the perennial garden, the rhododendron bed, uh, you know, the fern forest. It allows them really to build different, um, I don't know, just different pleasures into different spots. That's true. And and while I think we've been challenged on all these levels, we are definitely still the foodie capital. As I said, we're also the sporting capital and we have the best golf courses in the country by far. And finally, I love the village life around Melbourne. I mean, whether it's Fitzroy, you know, around that Gore Street area, Yarraville, Altona, Williamstown, Rathdown Street, Carlton, Mailing Road in Canterbury, um, Pasco Vale Road and that beautiful area around um, Essendon. I, I just think we have the best villages also in the country. So bring it on, Melbourne. Bring we'll be it back. on. And, 
bring it on and then um, bring it on with Jane's cocktail cabinet. I can hear it clinking. I can hear those glasses clinking, Poro. It is time now for the Cocktail Cabinet with Miles Thompson. Miles, wonderful to be talking to you again. And thank you to Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. And remember, you can visit princewinestore.com.au to look at all their fabulous products. But, Miles, I've been thinking about beer, not because it's October, almost, and um, Oktoberfest, well, we're not going to Oktoberfest, clearly, but we can still talk about beers. But um, I did my last 3AW uh, pre-game broadcast on uh, Saturday and the owners, the um, people behind Optus Stadium in Perth felt very sorry for we poor Melbourneian football commentators and sent us, um, oh, everyone got a six-pack of Single Fin Summer Ale, which is the official beer of Opt- Optus Stadium. Um, it's oh, it's right. in a big, it, they come in a yellow um, packaging, Gage Roads Single Fin Summer Ale, dry hopped and unfiltered. I'd never seen it before. So I thought we could find out what beers we can get from Prince Wine Store and what you might recommend. Yeah, absolutely. My gosh, there's so many. The beer scene is just, well, it's crazy everywhere in the world, but certainly Australia's embraced it. So, so many options. I yes. thought I thought thought we'd go a couple today. I, I haven't heard of that one, but um, again, like I said, so many, who knows? Um I've got two today. I've got one one from Germany since, as you said, Oktoberfest is around the corner. Um, and then I've got a, a local one. So the one from Germany is called Weinstefan. Um, they're one of the, or well, they are the oldest brewery. I think I think a thou- I think they've been brewing for a thousand years. They were a, a monastery brewery once, um, and uh, obviously now a commercial brewery. Um, and they're very famous for their wheat beer. That's really what what they're really well known for. Um, and mm. I, one of my favourite beers from them is the Weinstefan Dunkel. And the Dunkel is a dark wheat beer, so dark kind of malty sort of style, but still has that lovely estuary kind of peppery, sometimes people use banana kind of elements that you get sort of on the nose, but a lovely slightly sort of richer, darker sort of malt profile as well. And it's perfect sort of spring weather. You know, you could have it on a warmer day. You could have it on a cooler day. Um, and great with great with food too. Fant- these guys, I mean, any of their beers are fantastic, like really fantastic. Their wheat beers are the, really what they're well known for. And then the Dunkel is just a really fantastic beer as well. Oh, it sounds delicious. Look, I'm not really a regular beer drinker, but my children will roll their eyes when they hear this because I say it once or twice a year, there is nothing else for me than a cold beer. It is just, it's funny, it just comes upon you and there is nothing more delicious. So that's the wheat beer. Donkel, what else can you recommend, Miles? So the other one I've got is a, a brewery called Co-Conspirators and they're a, they're a local brewery here in Vic. Um, it's a, two couples that met at, a, at a, a, a brew club called the Merry Mashes and um, ended up sort of going from, you know, on the kitchen table into the garage, from hobby to business, you know, from brewing a couple of things to full full tilt brewery pretty pretty quickly. But they make some really cool stuff. And the one that I chose from these guys is called um, the co-conspirators, the mechanic. 
So that's what the beer is called. And it is a great name um, for a beer. <laughs> it's really cool. Great the name. labels are awesome. You look them up. The labels are really, they're really, really cool. They, I love, I love the beer labels. Actually, they're so much fun. Um, they, they seem to have a lot more fun with them than wine labels. <laughs> so, can you describe um, how, um, how this one goes down? Yeah. So this, so, so it's, it's an ale. So it's kind of you know those sort of a midweight sort of style beer. So again, good sort of spring drinking. But it's, it's, it's called an oat cream ale. So they use quite a lot of oats in the, in the sort of malting process. And they also use a little bit of, um, I think, dried milk powder. So it gives this really sort of like really lovely creamy sort of texture to the beer. It's a hazy beer as well, so they don't filter it. So it comes out a bit hazy. The dunkel is also a little bit hazy as well. Um, wow. Just gives it, yeah, really fantastic and lovely citrusy sort of piney hop notes. Um, nice and dry and bitter, but a bit of that rich sort of creaminess. It's a great beer. It's it's kind of like my new go-to. And again, really sort of nice, nice in-between season beer as sort of things sort of warm and cool, you know, some cooler nights, some warmer days. Really sort of great style to have um, while we wait for the really warm weather. And particularly, I reckon, after a long walk or whenever I've been on a long hike, there is nothing I love more than a cold beer. So so we've got we've been to Germany and the other one. So these local guys who make the mechanic, when you say they they literally started off in their garage. Yeah, so they they um, they sort of started with the you know, they, they were home brewers. They were really into it. They, they sort of really got a bit more serious. Most home brewers tend to sort of start with little kits and you get uh, like you get like a, a kit to make say a pale ale style or whatever it is um, and then they sort of got a bit more serious when they actually start mashing the malt so when you get the the barley and you actually turn it into mash and then you ferment that mash to turn it into alcohol so it's a much more involved process so not as many people do that from a homebrew sort of style I have a few friends who do who make some fantastic stuff and they started winning a few few awards at sort of homebrew uh, award shows um, and then, yeah, decided to turn it into a business. And uh, I think we're pretty happy that they did. And um, how much do we pay for that, Miles? All right. So the Donkel is, I think, nine, uh, $9, but it's a high uh, – sorry, it's a, a 500ml um, bottle. So uh -huh. you get a little bit little – bit Extra in it, uh, and the co-conspirators I think is six fifty, and that's in a that's in a can, so they've canned that one. Um, but that'll be up on the, the don't shoot the messenger um, page, and of course, if you put in your code for M E double S at the uh, at the cart, you'll get your ten percent off those as well. Brilliant recommendations, Miles. Time for a cold beer, or let's hope it will be even the weather actually improves over the next few weeks. Remember to use the promo code MEWS, that's short for Messenger at Checkout Online, to receive the listener discount. Miles' recommendations, the co-conspirators and the donkle will be on our show notes. You'll find the links. And that was a cocktail cabinet for Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Remember, visit princewinestore.com.au and tell them that Caro and Corrie sent you. Now, Corrie, for Red Energy, 100% Australian-owned electricity and gas, you have a crush. I do. My crush is Kate Middleton, the Duchess of Cambridge, Caro. Oh, no, Corrie. Oh, no. 
<laughs> Go on. I'm going to argue. I'm going to argue my point why, and let's see if you you agree with me at the end of it. So, as we know, this week she made her first appearance in several weeks. I might add, when she rocked up at the London premiere of the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die, dressed in that stunning gold structured sequined gown with sheer panelling um, by a British designer. I'm not familiar with her work, Jenny Packham, but I thought the dress looked beautiful. Quite a low V neck for the royal, the hair up. She looked so elegant, so beautiful. This is this was absolutely the most striking and the most gorgeous uh, I think I've ever seen Kate Middleton apart from her wedding day. And I think it was highly strategic of her. And this is why she's my crush. I am increasingly coming to the belief that she will save the British monarchy once the Queen passes away. Now, She's been out of action for several weeks, a fact that did not escape the British press or her adoring fans. And whatever the reason for this break, and there's been lots of speculation, was she pregnant and had the horrible morning sickness again? Um, was she exhausted and needed the extended holiday from public duties? Was she recovering from COVID? In fact, indeed, I read somewhere, had she had an eye lift, a little bit of surgery? Who cares? You know what? She's emerged back with this new mature look, and there she was. She upstaged her father-in-law, Prince Charles, future king, Camilla, and even her husband, William, who everybody loves and adores. So yep. the thing about Kate Caro is that she's savvy. Uh, a lot of people might, you know, do say they think that she's a bit dull or boring. I can't say that because I don't have any evidence of that. But to me, she always shows a warm side. She has huge emotional intelligence, which is deeply lacking in the royal family, Queen accepted. She can read the room and she has great empathy and um, she seems to manage the public and the media as well as those tricky in-laws of hers and she never puts a foot wrong. And I reckon that she and William are starting to present themselves as a team very much like the Queen Mother and George VI did. Remember, or well, not remember because we weren't born, but we've all read about the abdication of Edward VIII and how tricky that was for the first few months um, in terms of the royal family, people feared that the abdication would spark a Republican movement. Well, the Queen Mother and George VI came in as a team and settled it. Well, I think I think Kate has this capacity, so she's my crush. You know, I saw this um, well explained. And speaking of explained, I've been watching this documentary on series on Netflix called Explained. It's amazing. There's been about 40 or 50 episodes, um, three or four series. There was one in 2019 about when is the next pandemic, spookily. But they did one on royals, on royalty and the monarchy and how they used to be really powerful and were basically responsible for most of the world's, you know, dreadful um, slave trade, for example, and absolutely dreadful, you know, crimes of um, humanity. And then at some point when they all started to lose their power, and I've got to say Australia is one of the few countries, you know, that still has a monarchy and even though they don't kowtow to it in any real way, but how they started to lose their power and they basically became a PR machine a massive PR machine, and around the world they get all this money to basically promote themselves and promote a different way of life. It's an extraordinary episode. There's one on dogs. There's one on apologies. Um, there's one on the history of dance and how most dance genres were probably invented by black people and then picked up by white people and made famous. Um, and who, you know, who, who um, 
has a copyright to a dance. Anyway, it's really, really interesting. Just a bit of a segue there. Actually, a good segue to BSF. Yeah, well, Carol, you were talking about that doco series. It's so it's called Explained because you were going to text me what it was and I, and you forgot. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's called Explained. It's re- and famous people narrate every episode. All the ones I've seen have been narrated by um, Americans, mostly women. The one on dogs is brilliant. The one on apologies is fascinating. But the monarchy one and the dance one, just to name two. I mean, for example, Michael Jackson's Moonwalk. You know, some. I can't remember which black American did it first, but like 30, 40 years earlier. It's really, really interesting. It's a really, really interesting show. Highly recommend it. Good, short, sharp episodes, and it's on Netflix. But, Corrie, um, you've been reading. Well, I sort of reading, Carol. I thought I would expand uh, expand uh, the book segment today to actually just look at Regency romance. The catalyst for this is next week, next Wednesday, we're running a webinar with Dr Jen Kloster, and Jennifer Kloster a few years ago wrote a terrific biography of Georgette Heyer, the British writer, Regency romance, mainly known for, although she did do a number of detective stories as well. But you and I really love her. We can recall reading Georgette when we were young and so on. And I just thought given that it's lockdown and times are a bit boring and and people are looking for uh, something, you know, for a learning opportunity, a bit like you just had with that Netflix doco series, I thought we'll actually just go, we'll do a deep dive into Regency romance. What is it about the genre? What is it about Jane Austen all these years later? particularly books like Pride and Prejudice and Emma and the movies as well. What is it that we love about these swashbuckling, you know, charismatic, often moody, broody male leads? The, well, the Jane Austen was ahead of her time, wasn't she? Yes, and the, and the and, girl... About the plight of women, you know, and, and what it was like not to have an income, etc. That's true, and her women were smart, you know, they were smart and... So, uh, so I just thought we'd just quickly look at Regency romance today, and and I know you've got a couple of Georgette Hayes. And last night I I started reading again. I'm holding it up to the screen so you can see the Grand Sophie, which I read when I was a teenager. I can't remember how old I was. All I can remember is I wanted to change my name to Sophie because I thought it was so beautiful. So I thought for next Wednesday's <laughs> webinar I should reread it. Very and, good. Um, and, and, you know, Bridgerton, I watched the series and I loved Bridgerton and I've been watching various um, Bronte and Jane Austen movies during lockdown. And so the Regency period was, strictly speaking, a nine-year period from 1811 to 1820, but historians do generally take it from 1780 to 1830. There was so much happening in England at the time. The American colonies were being explored, gaining independence. Um, in the, in the textile industry was taking off in England. The Industrial Revolution was beginning. They were always at war, often with the French, so that always created a rather dramatic backdrop. And it was the rise of the middle class which made upper classes more aware of manners, mores, class and breeding, acceptable calling hours, Carol. You couldn't just rock up to my house at 10 in the morning for a game of Scrabble you'd have to make an appointment and get your butler to bring around a card two days before. <laughs> so I just loved all this. And then into this world pops Georgette Hayer, a fairly dull middle-class housewife. Who, she turned to writing a novel, novels as a teenager. She wrote her first novel to cheer up her brother who was, I think, convalescing after a long illness. And 
as the Guardian once wrote, if only Georgette has life had had the fun and romance of her 55 novels. There's not a lot to say about Georgette. She was born in Wimbledon in 1902, the daughter of a school teacher. In 1925, she married the rather boring mining engineer, Ronald Rougier. They went to Africa to live. They returned to Britain. Um, and she just basically wrote novels for the rest of her life. Uh, not, that, not, not, not dismissing that, but there's not a lot of interesting travel or amazing affairs of the heart or or scandals or anything you know she just played it a straight bat and yet out of her imagination came these wonderful books uh, so you've read a couple of Georgette Hayes in your time oh my favorite well my sister's favorite is the grand Sophie the one you mentioned I love the talisman ring and Regency buck the <laughs> beautifully named Regency buck but I also really loved um well, she had a few names, Victoria Holt, Philippa Carr, but as Jean Plady, I think she wrote some wonderful Regency romances. Um, there was a trilogy on the life of Mary, Queen of Scots, and um, Ferdinand and Isabella of Spain and the French Revolution, all by Jean Plady. Absolutely brilliant. I thought she was a great writer, and also under Victoria Holt was great too. Even um, Daphne de Maurier had a crack in The King's General, which was just a wonderful wonderful book um and obviously um I will, we've obviously talked about um jane austen but uh, he, he is just a brilliant writer who um does not lose anything in the telling today and dare i say neither does georgette hayer no I, georgette hayer doesn't and her language is i mean her language is actually really beautiful reading it again uh last night i was surprised at how literary she actually is compared with for example um, her tragic poor clone or wannabe, um, Barbara Cartland. But, oh, um, yeah, but I, I'm, urge, I'm urging people to not think Mills and Boone here. You know, go go up a few pegs from that. I think you'd really enjoy some Georgette Hayer books, particularly lockdown, particularly as we're coming to summer holidays. And if you want to learn more, just jump onto our website, corriebergen.com.au, and you can join the event next week. Caro, um, now Screen, we, you and I have been um, – we, we were both – on Monday morning when we walked, we were waxing lyrically about a show that we'd seen the night before. Oh, can you believe it? Are we just are we just getting old or boring? But I we both loved Restoration Australia, which even my daughter got into it, she told me. Um it this is a uh, Clementine, my younger daughter. It's it's not quite Kevin McLeod, is it? Or all the one in New Zealand with the New Zealand guy. But no, um, no, one, no one is Kevin, Caro. No, and I like the New Zealand Grand Designs guy and the Aussie one, but this is more sort of a more down market version, but with really lovely down to earth people who are trying. Well, in this case, it was Detective Deb who moved from Victoria to um, the New South Wales coast to Pambula, I think. To and pa they, they basically were renovating an old post office. Exactly right. And what, and what I love about Restoration Australia is you do get the backstory into Australian history. So the people who are usually renovating these manors or these guest houses or these old shops or whatever it is to bring it back to life as a family home, they, uh, they are usually Australian history nuts. They're rather keen on finding out the background of their building. And so we as well are... Uh, you know, led carefully by the commentator or the host, whose name escapes me, but he's an architect um, who specialises in heritage buildings. What's his name again? Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you on that. We'll get there. You Google. But um, 
I, I, you're right about Detective Deb and her husband. They were leaving. They left uh, the Victorian countryside for Pambula, and they just fell in love with this building. Which at first glance you thought, oh, knock it over, Detective Deb, knock it over. <laughs> um, I think the host is Anthony Burke, who yep. follows homeowners yeah, around the country. Yep, yep, yep. That's his name. Anyway, it's on Sundays at 7.30 on the ABC. Carol and I love it. Not quite sure why. Uh <laughs> no, because but it's why we it's it's I don't know what it is, but it, it's why we also love grand designs because they do go through the ups and downs, don't they? They do. Well, Carol, it's really interesting. I got onto because this morning in preparation, I was starting to read about, you know, what is it about grand designs that we love? You know, because I'm obsessed. I watch reruns of reruns. And do you know, it follows what is known as the eight steps uh, that were um, originally written by famous American screenwriter Dan Harmon. It's his famous story circle, the eight steps of writing a good story. And the author of this particular piece maintained that Kevin McLeod and Grand Designs follows this. A character is in a zone of comfort, one. Number two, but they want something. Number three, they enter an unfamiliar situation. Number four, they adapt to it. Number five, they get what they wanted. Number six, but they pay a heavy price for it. Number <laughs> seven, they return to their familiar situation. Number eight, having changed as people forevermore. That's a very good summation. A very good summation. You know, when you write your first film script, just um, Google Dan Harmon's famous story circle and that'll come up and help you. Oh, my, my mother is absolutely addicted to these shows. I mean, it's not just Antiques Roadshow. There's another British one at the moment where they find great treasures at stately homes around and, and, and smaller places and funny old fairs around the British countryside. She's ab absolutely glued to it. Every, I think it's on most mornings on weekdays. Yeah, it is. And of course, funny. antiques. You can't sorry. her because she's watching the show. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's far too busy. She sits down with her cup of tea. They find the most incredible things. I don't know what it is. I mean, they, I reckon they need to make another show like Love Joy, don't you? Wouldn't that oh, be brilliant? I. How handsome was he, just quietly? Oh. Hey, Cara, we better skip along to food and you have a recipe. Just very quickly, the other Victoria Hot one I couldn't remember was Bride of Pandoric. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Um, now, you made tacos the other night um, with Flathead, your famous fish tacos. Yeah. So your, I think it's your daughter Francesca's recipe. It is. It's fantastic. And I just, look, I thoroughly recommend making um, making the mayonnaise with jalapenos and different things. It's just, uh, I mean, a lot of recipe books have it, but I think that beautiful dressing is what, because of the, it's moist and delicious and really hot and spicy. That's what makes the fish tacos. Um, but tell me about your, is it pulled pork that you had? Clementine's pulled pork tacos. Um, the full, she's done an audio version of this recipe, which will be on our show notes. Basically brought a um, shoulder of pork, slow cooked it in a very, very low oven with a lot of cinnamon, onions, garlic, um, rubbed in salt, pepper and a couple of other spices. Um, I think there might have been a bit of nutmeg there. Anyway, can't quite remember. Absolutely delicious. But just left it, I think, for about four to five hours and then let it sit outside um, on the in the big Le Creuset pot or whatever it's in for another half hour before you start pulling it apart. Oh, my God. Now, she made this three different salsas, one with, I think, tomato and um, white onions 
and radishes, I think a bit of coriander, and then this pineapple and chili salsa. Absolutely beautiful. The jalapeno, um, I think it was jalapeno and yogurt or separate jalapenos, and then just lots and lots of chopped avocado and the small corn tortillas. tortillas. Absolutely delicious. It's on our show notes. We couldn't stop eating it. Absolutely divine again the next day. Um, highly recommend Clem's pulled pork tacos. Hey, Caro, you know how Clem lives in a shared household in Melbourne's northern, northern suburbs? Yes. Do you reckon she might have a room up for rent so I can come and live there when I go oh, up town? Because I just I just wish she could cook for me every night. Oh, no. It's just the her food is so delicious. No, no, no. These ones were really, really good. So and that was BSF. And can I just remind people that if they want to follow Clemmy Donahue is the Instagram account. Clem is often very generous with her recipes and will show you how to do them sometimes, which is always helpful. So that's Clemmy Donahue on Instagram. Good tip. And um that was BSF for Red Energy. And just remember. If you think it's time to change your energy supplier, go to Red Energy, powered by the Snowy Hydro. They're a leader in renewable energy. The number to call is 131806. Corrie, I'm grumpy. And well, <laughs> Join the club. I know, but, you know, and you, you will you'll get this paperwork. Oh. <laughs> paperwork. Started. I've had a lot of it lately. We both hate tax. We both hate filling in forms. I actually have a child who enjoys filling in forms. Can you believe that? I thought once my kids left school, I'd filled in my last form. Joke's on me. Not at all. Lately, it's to do with online claims, online medical claims with your private health insurer. They've started asking for a photograph of the receipt. Of course, if the photograph doesn't work or if you don't get the whole picture of the receipt in that doesn't include the dentist, for example's address and item number, even though you've claimed with him a thousand times before on your medical health insurer, they say, no, that's not allowed. You have to do it again. So you do it again and they say, no, but you've already made this claim and it was erroneous, so it doesn't count. Then you ring them and you stay on hold for half an hour and then they tell you you have to do an email explaining all of this with said attachments. Corrie, it defeated me the other day. It just defeated me. Three hours, I will never get back and still no money back. And it's not much anyway. It made me so grumpy. I don't want to go on about it, but Well, well the other thing to add to that is if you want to um, put onto your phone, onto your app, uh, evidence that you've had the two vaccinations, don't get me started about how long that takes. But, Carol, you know there is oh, an Clem app. did that for me. You know, <laughs> did the whole thing. Called, you know there's an app called Mobile Scanner, don't you? And you just take a photo and it scans it in. You know how to do that, yeah? Don't, you don't be that. smart, Corrie. Don't, as if I would know about that. I've never heard of such a thing. No, honestly, seriously, in the closing of the bookshop, I'm with you on the paperwork. We've had to do an awful lot and it continues. But you take a photo with your, with your camera or with your phone of the said document and it formulates it into a document that you, then you can email. I'll show you what to do. But I agree with you, it's a nightmare, a nightmare. So I used to sit down, I used to make a cup of tea when life was more simple and I would write out all my checks and put them in envelopes and walk down to the letterbox and post them or walk to the post office and pay them there. Very few people let you do that anymore and I'm getting better, I'm getting better at BPAY. I can do all that but some things like online um, medical insurance claims, no thank you very much. Anyway, that's what I'm grumpy about. Let's move on to six quick questions. Corrie, 
I'm really looking forward to hearing about this. Last week you interviewed uh, Paul Oster, and we know this because an earthquake happened while the interview was going on. This wonderful American writer who I just love. Did your literary idol live up to the hype? Because sometimes they can't, they don't. Yep. You and I have interviewed a lot of famous people in our day, Caro, and... Um, Hello, yep. Mikhail Barishkinov, the most boring person I've ever met, even <laughs> though I love to watch him dance. <laughs> We often we often do talk about um, famous people who just didn't live up to expectation, but I have to tell you, Paul Oster did, and then some, and it made me think about what makes a good writer. Yes, they can write, but what makes a really great writer? They are forever curious. They are curious about the world around them. They're always asking questions. They're learning more. They're storing ideas like bowerbirds, maybe for the next novel. So when you interview someone famous and they engage with you, he asked me. What was my background? Why did I close the bookshop? He asked me what I thought about different passages of the book. Oh, my God, he had me at hello, Caro. He had me at hello. Wow. That's great. Well, I, do, can anyone sort of get to see that online or anything? It'll be up on. It'll be up through the Wheeler Centre at the end of October, and I will tell you all about it then. Caro, on to, of course, nice segue. Can you name any idol or idols, apart from Mikhail Barishnikov, who did not live oh. up to the height? Nice little Russian um, inflection there, Corrie. Um, well, it must be something about Russian dancers because the other one, dare I say, Rudolf Nureyev. Um, oh, really? I loved I met him once on stage during a rehearsal. I thought he was charming. Well, I saw him dance in London when he was getting a bit long in the tooth um, and he was fine. it was fine. But um, I was sitting in the State Theatre watching the start of a ballet and he arrived. He must have been there as a guest of Maynard Gielgud or something. You um, and I were there together that night. I took you to the ballet. Was he, that? Yes. yes, he came and, and he had AIDS at the time, but it wasn't public. And you were with me and we saw him come in with his coat on. Do you remember his cape? And he, he was incredibly handsome and incredibly stylish. And he sat down in the same row as us. Yes. And a little girl really nervous in her good coat and good shoes, good party shoes, good star trites, came up and asked him for his autograph and he was not very nice to her at all. He said, if I sign for you, I have to sign for everyone. And I thought, you know what, Mikhail, not Mikhail, but you were rude, as you were boring as well. Rudy, how tough can it be? The curtain was about to lift. You know, he wasn't going to be troubled by anyone else. She was this gorgeous and she walked away and I remember thinking, oh, you're you're just a pain in the ass. Anyway, excuse my language. I thought that that was really disappointing for me. Now, Corrie, you've watched a lot of footy in recent weeks, seen a lot of commercials. Do you have a favourite? I bet I know what you're going to say. Oh, your daughter's having a blinder. Oh, I couldn't agree more. What is a blinder? Oh, the ad for Google. You know, Carol, I watched it again this morning because I just, I, I've got to nail the, the country from which the father and the daughter come from. You know, clearly it's from the continent of Africa, but I thought, are they Somali? No, I wasn't sure where they're from. Kenyan, maybe. Who cares? I cried. I cried again this morning. I, I love that ad so much. And it premiered during the AFLW um, round early season earlier this year. I love it. Google, well done. Advertising agency, well done. Favourite ad. And probably helps that the hawks are at the heart of the ad too, Corrie. Exactly right. When he's but, cooking barbecue, you just get a little hawk sign around the ground. Caro, what Jack about when she looks at him when she kicks a goal and he looks at her? Oh, that is, I, I agree. It's the most beautiful, beautiful ad. 
It's stunning. And he goes to Google where to buy a football. Oh, I love it. I love that ad so much. Um, Caro, J-Lo and Ben Affleck are, are back together again. Woohoo! What's your level of interest out of 10? Well, funnily enough, probably five or six. Not because of any other reason that, one, I can say Benifer again, which I just, <laughs> I just love. And two, I love a reunion. I still remember when Richard Burton and Liz Taylor got back together and it was such a big story. I love renewed, well, I'm suspicious of renewed marriage vows. I often think when that happens, you know, I, I always think something bad must have happened to renew the marriage vows, probably completely unfairly. But no, um, I, I love a reunion, so I don't really know how long it's going to last and whether Ben will be up to his old tricks again. But, um, yep, quite happy to read about that. Now, Corrie, oh, You've come up with some questions. What is revenge bedtime procrastination? And should I be worried that I might catch it? Uh, I can pretty safely say you won't catch it having shared a bedroom with you in Cornwall for a week um, because not, you, just hit the, you just hit the bed and you, you just open your novel or you go straight to sleep. But people like me, uh, we have revenge bedtime procrastination. What we do is we, need, we know we need to go to sleep. We know it's important. But what do we do? We pull out our phones and instead of reading the most important novel that we should be reading, we just think, oh, a little bit of social media, we watch a bit of TikTok, mm -hmm. might mm -hmm. watch a bit of Trini Woodall's fashion tips and before we know it, 45 minutes later, we've scrolled our fingers off and we're giving up sleeping. And the, it's all about this, um, why we need to do it and we should be doing something but we don't and it's like revenge procrastination because we know that we should, we should be doing this thing, which is sleep, and we put it off. If anybody's interested in learning more, I, I draw your attention to the Press Box podcast, this week's episode. They talk about it quite a, quite a lot. They'll have to wean me off online bridge. I think that's, that's what I need to do. That's really interesting, and I you know, did lecture you about this when we last roomed together in Cornwall, if you remember, Corrie. You're still up to your old tricks. Carol, what's the scariest thing you've seen on TV this week? The secret to it, by the way, is a good novel. Oh, definitely the scenes at the shrine. Absolutely horrific. And the treatment of those horrible protesters who were praised by Tony Abbott strangely in the last 24 hours as being good Australians. Oh, for heaven's sake. And the way they treated some of the mainstream journos from channels like Channel 7 and Channel 9, Paul Dowsley comes to mind. Absolutely horrible. Um, I blame Donald Trump for a lot of this, you know, fake news business, just a, such a terrible thing. I can't believe I've even said it. Um, Idolising, you know, horrible sort of not in any way impartial sort of fringe dwellers who come in and try and incite even more violence. But to see it happen at the Shrine, to hear American journos actually talk about, compare what happened at the Shrine to Tiananmen Square, which is completely bloody ridiculous, if you don't mind me saying. But, no, that was um, that was a pretty grim day and a day I hope to never see ever, ever again. I'm with you. I was, I was, uh, I think most, I think most people, most Australians were mortified. But there is, there is, uh, you're right about Donald Trump. I think there has been this uh, acceptance of bad behaviour and this mocking and indeed uh, ruining and damaging of our institutions and our buildings that protect our institutions that are so important to democracy, like Parliament House, like the Shrine, like churches, whatever it is, you know, it's it's kind of like um, it doesn't matter anymore. It's okay behaviour and it's not okay behaviour. 
this total lack of um, decency, discipline, resilience, just, oh, it's just horrible. Anyway, but we know, we've already told everyone why we love Melbourne and why it's going to be great again. And even in spring, even when we're locked down, it's still pretty good, Corrie. I look forward to the day we can do this together. But for now, we're remote. That was um, great to have a catch up. Really enjoyable. I, I hope we're out of lockdown for our 200th episode, Caro. Well, I think we will be. I think the vaccination levels will get us there by late October, Corrie. And um, we can have a nice glass of champagne together. Now, thank you to our podcast supporters, Red Energy. We've already told you that they're 100% Australian, electricity and gas. And, of course, the Prince Wine Store. Don't we need Prince Wine Store and its goods at the moment? You Remember, you can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to get our show notes delivered to your inbox each week, hit the sign-up button on Facebook or in our show notes, or send us an email and we'll subscribe you. Email feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And Corrie? Don't shoot the messenger, Carol.